Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your host Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. This is episode 64 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we will be starting chapter 2 in this episode. How's it going, Dakota? It's going good. I'm looking forward to get into another episode. Acts has been really good for us to sit down and speak practically. You know, it's narrative format and and it's really easy to apply. Acts is very much uh, based on the early movements of the church. So it's easy to say, hey, this is what the church should look like today. We're given the standard, right? Yep. So I'm excited. Every single time we have an episode, I'm excited for our listeners. If you listen in uh, to this podcast faithfully, thank you for listening faithfully every single week. We just pray that you would share it with others in the process and that you would also use this as a tool to trailblaze conversations. So if you decide to disciple somebody, then you can listen to it in our format first, and then you can have somewhat of a heads up as you're sharing it with somebody else. Yeah, and at this time of the year of this recording, we're in the month of May, and most of you probably know that in the month of May here in the United States, a lot of graduations happen, summer's coming up, people like to travel, right, moving, vacations, all kinds of stuff going on. But I just want to give a quick word of encouragement um, to, to anybody listening, our own church members or anybody else. Don't let the busyness or the change of summer get in the way of your fellowship with other believers. Uh, I think it's really important to stay in fellowship at all times. The routine's going to change if you've got kids. The routine may change because you're going to go on vacation. Something may be different, but don't let the routine of being in the Word, uh, fellowshipping with one another, all those things, prayer— uh, become something that you give up because of these things or that you miss on and, and you start to slip away. Um, you know, these these things that we're called to do. Um, one, reading the Bible is the most important thing. How else are we going to know who God is? We were just coming back from lunch and we were talking about a class that you're in and they were giving statistics about how many people read the Bible who say they're Christians. What was that statistic? What were some of the information yeah, that you gave? It was like 18% of people who... People or Christians? Christians. Okay. 18% of Christians claim they've read the whole Bible. Okay. So only 18% of Christians at least have read the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. And then 11% out of that 18 read the Bible daily. Mm. That's a very small number. Absolutely. The most important thing we can do as believers to know more about God is to read His Word. He's It's His breathe. It's His Word. It's His authority. It's given to us. Why wouldn't we spend life, more time in it? Life and godliness. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important that we stay in God's Word. That's the all about this podcast is being in God's Word, learning to read it together. And even there's times where you should be reading the Bible alone in yes. devotion and in prayer to the Lord and spending intimate time with Him. But there's also times where you should be spending time with other people in the Word. In community, in like community. this right here. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, And that's where discipleship happens. Exactly. And we should be reading the Word. We should also be listening to the Word, which is what you're about to do right now. Yeah. Uh, and you may do that on Sunday morning. Um, but reading the Word yourself is really, really important. So I should encourage you, open the Bible, read the Word. If you're having trouble finding, hey, I don't know where to start. You know, there's a lot here. Do I start in the Gospels, Epistles? Do I start in the Old Testament? Um, you know, it's always good to start yes. in a Gospel. Yeah, you start <laughs> in all of them. Or find a reading plan. There's tons of reading plans out there where you can follow, read it, read the Bible for a year or, or whatever that may be. Follow a plan. It kind of keeps you accountable and it helps you uh, read through Scripture because somebody's put that thought into that plan for you. So I just encourage you, stay in the Word. 
Yeah, I mean, if one one final thought maybe on this tangent would be, if we say that we're Christians, to be a Christian means to follow Christ. But if all of the Bible is about Christ, then we need to make sure that we are reading the Bible in order to follow Christ. Uh, the two have to go hand in hand. So, hey, why don't you pray for us? And then I'm going to dive into Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. I'm going to read it, and then we'll discuss it. All right. You continue to be obedient to your word. Allow us to continue to grow in understanding of your scriptures. Uh, I pray today that as we study the book of Acts, that we continue to be filled up uh, with encouragement as we move forward as as followers of Christ, uh, that we would continue to be a part of the church, a part of the body, uh, using the gifts that you've given us uh, to live in unity with each other uh, for the gospel. And so just be with us today as we have this conversation. And thank you, uh, Lord, for all those who are listening, work in their hearts today as well as they apply this to their life. In mm-hmm. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we go, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came also together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. So as I'm reading this passage, the first thing that comes to my mind is the very event that Jesus told the apostles to wait for is now taking place. You know, Jesus spoke to them in John 14, 15, and 16, the Upper Room Discourse, where he promised the Helper, the Helper, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who would lead them into all truth, who would teach them what they were to say in the moment. Um, Jesus has been alluding to the fact that he would not leave them as orphans and he would send the Holy Spirit. I think this picture here is that initial picture in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, so the first verse says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, well, Dakota, what's the day of Pentecost Old Testament? Well, the day of Pentecost was always uh, to be celebrated 40 days um, after um, the Day of Atonement. Uh, it was really a, a celebration of first fruits, if you will. Uh, it was a celebration that the people of Israel were to give unto the Lord, uh, not just necessarily for what the Lord had done in rescuing them, but also now what the Lord was giving to them to bless them as a nation. Maybe that's a good way of summarizing it. But nevertheless, it always took place 40 days after the Day of Atonement. Yeah, And, the, and, this and that's is, how long it's been since Jesus died on the cross here in this scene. Yeah, and it's also the time where they received the law. That yes. was a time that they remembered that. Yep. Yep. So 
in this day of Pentecost that we're reading about right here in Acts chapter 2, today in the church age, as a Christian, when we say the day of Pentecost, Mm -hmm. we're actually referring to this day. Yes. Which is in Acts chapter 2, which means the arrival of what? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit. That's what they're waiting for. Yep. So the day of Pentecost kind of has both of those meanings. Mm -hmm. It was the day that God gave his law, and it was the day that God gave the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so it's a very unique day. Uh, we know that uh, the first fruits came from the wheat harvest specifically yes. for the day of Pentecost. And so they were together in one place, it says in verse one, which they would have been for this day, right? They're celebrating. Yeah. Um, they are waiting. Yeah. And so we know that they're all together uh, for the Lord. And so this is when this is going to take place. Well, there's a lot of parallels too, because in, on one hand, in Exodus, you had a, an account of deliverance you know, salvation of some sort for the people of Israel. But then they were given the law. And if you remember, Moses came down the down the mountain with the law and there's people participating in sin and God actually judged those people. And you had, a, I forget the exact number, but a few thousand people die immediately after the law was given. But you're going to notice here after the day of Pentecost, after God now gives the Holy Spirit for the new covenant of the church, After the Holy Spirit's been given, now you're going to have thousands come to be saved and delivered in that sense. So whereas the law brought forth death at Pentecost, here in the New Testament, the the Holy Spirit and the new covenant is going to bring about life. And that makes sense, right? If you're you're under the law, you get death. If you're under the Spirit, you get life. This is God essentially showing all things are completed in Christ. Yeah, and then continuing in verse 2... We have something coming from heaven, a sound. Mm -hmm. And we can't really just read over this as if, like, that's not amazing, (laughs) right? A sound coming from heaven. I always think of a massive, like, train-like noise. (laughs) I don't know, just in my mind. Yeah, and I I haven't been in in a tornado yet. Yeah, I yet. say yet because I live in Kansas. Yeah, now. be careful. <laughs> and so don't throw uh, that. Don't throw that on us here. But I can imagine <laughs> the rushing wind. I, I've heard people say how loud it is. Mm-hmm. Like you can't mistake it. I'm guessing this sound they couldn't mistake it. Yeah, um, that it came from heaven, uh, rushing a rushing mighty wind. Uh, what are some other places in Scripture that you can think of where we see a, a rushing wind, a sound like wind coming from heaven or from God? I, I don't know. You're putting me on the spot right now. I've seen if you, you think of any. No. What do you have? We have Genesis 1. Okay. Um, it is the Spirit of God as the breath or wind of God blowing over the waters of the newly created earth. Okay. Uh, we have Genesis 2.7. It is the Spirit of God as the as breathe or wind of God blowing life into newly created man. Yeah, good. And then Ezekiel 37 is the Spirit of God ah. as the breath and wind of God moving over the dry bones of Israel, bringing them to life and strength. My mind did go to the Valley of Dry Bones scene. I was about to say Ezekiel 36 and 37. But for whatever reason, my mind didn't make that connection in Genesis. I, I know the Spirit of God is breathing life in a man, but I didn't picture it as like this loud noise. I don't know. Maybe that's that's true. I mean, when they were going, when the when the Holy Spirit was going over the waters, there was. I mean, God was there to listen, but that was it. At that over the chaos, uh, over, yeah. yeah, he was <laughs> so, hovering. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, but it's we see this uh, rushing wind. I think wind is a description that goes along with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, so that 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 kind of helps here, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Yeah. So this wind is in the house, or filled the house, came into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a literal wind. Yeah. And I don't think the literal wind is actually the literal Holy Spirit, but because the word spirit in the Old Testament, ruach, uh, is often noted as wind or breath, 
I, I think it's like this symbolic characterization of, hey, whatever you see in the physical, there's something even more real in the spiritual coming. That's just my... I don't actually think wind is the Holy Spirit, right? Gotcha, That'd be yeah. a- animistic. But um, at the same time, I think it came as a symbol and a representation of what the Spirit was about to do. Yeah, because then we would just be standing outside waiting for oh, the wind. Oh, look at all the wind. <laughs> There's the a Holy tornado. Spirit. That must be the Holy Spirit. No, yeah. no. <laughs> That's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, so they're waiting. It's Pentecost. They're together. The sound comes in. The Holy Spirit arrives. Verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire Mm-hmm. appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So we have tongues, we have fire. No, oh, that's good. Uh, here, you know... The Holy Spirit's often depicted as fire. Right. Yep. When, and there's plenty of other examples in Scripture. Oil. Fire, mm-hmm. right, in the Old Testament especially. Yep. Um, and they're not always... They're not always bad things, right? You know, God came to Moses at burning bush. Yes. That was a good true. thing, right? That wasn't destruction or that wasn't judgment. That was him speaking to Moses, giving him instructions. And, and sometimes even as Christians, we talk about being on fire for the Lord. And I think when we say that, what what we are saying is, is that God is so burning and refining our heart that we have no choice but to live for him. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's something about fire that's very purifying, and now you're about to have this fire in the actual heart of these these men, these apostles, speaking with others who are there in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Yeah, and so they rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, another word for rested would be hovered. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1, same yep. thing. So hovered over them as if you can imagine like in the creation account. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, yes, there was hovering. But there was also a filling that took place. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is an important piece of the, the filling or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't the wind around us, but as those who believe in Christ in this moment, the Holy Spirit was given to fill them, to indwell in them as believers. And so this is a unique experience in which Jesus told them to wait for. Do not go out and do what I commanded you to until this happens. Yes. Uh, why... Why do they need to receive this? They, they've remember their minds have been open to the scripture, right? Jesus gave them that. They're, they've been taught. They walked with Jesus for three years. Yeah. They saw Jesus die on the cross. He was resurrected, and they came to him and kept teaching them. Yes. Why do they need to wait for the Holy Spirit? Is isn't that enough of what Jesus gave them? Why the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Well, Jesus said, I think it's in John fifteen or sixteen, where Jesus said, uh, "Greater." works will you do than I have done? You know, essentially he's saying in context, because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. Now, what Jesus is not saying, and and charismatic movements get this wrong all the time, that you, my disciples, are going to do miracles even greater than the miracles that I have done. But Jesus is not talking about miracles greater in power. He's talking about miracles greater in number. Me, the Holy, uh, sorry, me, the Son of God, um, anointed by the Holy Spirit to perform my ministry during my first coming, I am just one person. But if I then send the Helper, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth to you, all my followers are going to be indwelt and anointed with the same Spirit. So collectively and numerically, you're going to be able to accomplish more through the power that I send than if. I were to just go on my own. That's why in John chapter 16, Jesus said, it is to your benefit that I go away so that the Spirit will come, so that the Helper will come and empower you for ministry. I'm having another thought here too, and and this is just critical. A lot of people don't know 
that this is such an important distinction uh, for ecclesiology and for eschatology, the nature of the church and the nature of the end times, is that some would say that the church has always existed from the Old Testament onward. Like the church was in Adam's day, the church was in Noah's day, the church was in Israel's day, and, you know, the true church has just always existed. But I, but I don't see that. I don't see that. That's, that's covenantal theology. I think there's a massive difference between God's plan to use the people of Israel, and you could be grafted into Israel if you believe by faith, versus God using the church— and I think in order to specifically be a part of the church, you have to be indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And maybe in this sense, we get a special situation where there were Old Testament believers, like the apostles, transitioning to the new covenant, where they then got um, thrown into the church and dwelt by the Spirit. But I think very distinctively, if you say you are a part of Jesus's church, you must have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. So I don't think the Israelites had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Maybe the kings of the day had the Holy Spirit empowering them, but not dwelling in them. And that's an important distinction because if you read into the end times, if we believe the Holy Spirit, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the restrainer is removed from the earth, then we believe the church is not here in the end of the tribulation. And if the church isn't here, then how could the Holy Spirit be here and dwelling the church? So, in a long string of you know, theological discussions, what you do with this scene in Pentecost and being filled by the Holy Spirit really determines what you believe about the nature of the church as well. Big, long tangent, but it's important to know that discussion exists here. Right. But Israelites in chapter 2 onward can receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. If they believe in Jesus. Yes. And, uh, and what he has accomplished yes. for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I think Israelites and Gentiles can be in the church, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between ethnic national Israel that God wants to use because he made promises to them versus the church, which can be made up of Jew and Gentile, right? Ephesians um, chapter 2. So, just important to know these distinctions. This is where these arguments come from. What does it mean to be part of the church? Well, you've got to be into what by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so to kind of stick with the Holy Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit, obviously, since Genesis 1. I just mentioned mentioned that. We see the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament. So when we look at our Old Testament uh, people, especially the Israelites, because that's what it's about, right? The people of Israel, God um, using them, choosing them. Um, We see Moses, we see Abraham, we see David. Mm -hmm. We see all these great men who did not have the Holy Spirit. That's right. But did the Holy Spirit still have influence in their lives? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So what would that have looked like? from an Old Testament perspective, that it's not indwelling in them, but was still communicating with them, was still being used by God. Well, yeah, that's what David prays in Psalm 51, and a lot of uh, Arminians would point to Psalm 51 as an example of losing your salvation. David says, after he sinned with Bathsheba, and Psalm 51 is all about his repentance, he prays, Lord, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What David is not saying is, Lord, don't take my eternal salvation. What David is saying is, is, Lord, the only way that I can rule as your king is if I'm if I am still empowered, right? Empowered by your Holy Spirit that you've given to me. Um, and, and I mean, on the flip side, in the tribulation, this is why I believe after Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the word church is never used. You only see the word saints used. So I think if you are noted as a saint, 
in the midst of the tribulation, you are being grafted back into Israel's covenant as a believer because Israel's left on the earth. And if Israel's left on the earth to, to finish and accomplish their job that God gave to them in the Old Testament to lead others to the Messiah, well, then you're a part of Israel, but you're not a part of the, the church. The church will return with Jesus in Revelation 19. And then the church and Israel, God will use for his eternal purposes together, at least, at least for the millennium. And then who knows if it's all just, you know, one people of God for the new heavens and the new earth. But I think there's too many scriptures that point to distinctiveness. And we've got to be careful. What does it mean to be a part of the church? It means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 has come. Yes. Uh, is, is, is filled them up. Yep. Um, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. It says, now there were dw- they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Um, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So a bunch of people heard this sound. It wasn't just the apostles or whoever was gathered together in that house Mm -hmm. or building, but many people heard it and they came together and they were confused. Bewildered is the ESV version uh, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They recognized that these men did not have the ability to speak in them in their language. Of course not. And then all of a sudden... They can. They can. Mm -hmm. So there's something astonishing, which verse 7 says, and they were amazed and astonished, (laughs) that these people could speak their language. And what an interesting point of conversation, because the subject of tongues has obviously been a a hot-button issue in the church for a long time. Are tongues still active? What are tongues? What originally was the idea behind tongues? Uh, I think that's another conversation for another day so we don't get off track. But here, I don't believe it's some type of prayer language. Here, I believe what's taking place is the supernatural ability to communicate in someone else's actual language. The word glossolalia points and indicates the fact that there's a an actual language being spoken so that somebody else can understand them in their language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the text actually directly says that. That they're hearing them in their own language. Native they're not. Language, they're, they're not hearing them in a prayer language. They're hearing them, obviously, speak in their language, and they they know they don't know their language. Um, so I think in this case, this is God getting ready to communicate the gospel to all the nations, and that's what's supernatural about it—not the prayer language, but that God is connecting all all the nations through this event. Yeah, and it even gives a list. It does. All the people who were there, yes. all the different languages that were spoken. It does. Um, and, you know, so they could hear them telling in their own language the mighty works of God. So the gospel is being proclaimed in all of these languages. Yeah, uh, I actually have a map in my Bible right in front of me here, and it says countries of people mentioned at Pentecost. If you were to imagine where Israel is at, specifically Jerusalem as its capital, and then if you were to just geographically find all of the people who were just mentioned, um, and, you know, it's hard to share it on podcast, but you can see my map. What it does is all of these nations encircle Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it, it just tells you like the, the Parthians, that's really to the northeast. Uh, the Medes, that's essentially to the northeast. The Elamites, that's directly to the east. Pontus and Cappadocia, they're from the north. Cree and Cyrene, like Cretans and Cyrenes and Egyptians, that's to the west and the northwest, so on and so forth. I think what you're finding is that Pentecost had a a gospel-oriented effect 
where now the gospel was supposed to go out to all nations, literally in all directions, just like Jesus said in Acts 1, uh, 9 through 11. Or no, excuse me, Acts, Acts 1, 8, um, where he says, go into all nations. So it's unique that the Spirit falls upon men from all the nations encircling Jerusalem, and then they're all going to go back. We, we did a sermon series here in Titus a couple months back, um, those who were from Crete, right? And many believe that because Paul did not plant the church in Crete, that the church must have began with Cretans who were saved at Pentecost and then went back to Crete with the gospel. So uh, the gospel in the New Testament is about sending forth people away from where you're at. It's not come and see the temple. It's now go and tell everyone about Jesus. Yeah, and that, I think, answers Acts chapter 2, verse 12, where they're asking, what does this mean? Well, we just kind of talked about what does it mean, mm-hmm. you know? That's it. That's it, what we just said. And so that question is answered, but then verse 13 becomes interesting because there were others. Yes. And these others mocked what was going on. Yeah, they're drunk. And said, hey, they're drunk. They yeah. don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get this extreme, like, wow, they they can speak in my language now? After this rushing wind that we just heard, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus and telling us how they received the Holy Spirit. And then there's others that are like, no, they're just a bunch of drunkards. Yeah. Which is a typical response to spirit-inspired activity. Yeah. I mean, just even today, ah, that this, I've got some naturalistic explanation. No, but what if, what if God actually is doing something in your midst? Yeah. And you're just mocking. Yeah, but I think this this is another area where people can get confused, whereas if maybe if I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there's a part of me that should look like I'm taken over in a way, drunk or mm-hmm. crazy of some sort. Yeah, that's the other extreme. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all kinds of extremes on how you should be viewed as a Christian or what you should be doing as a Christian and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot of different views and different areas in Christianity that believe different things. But I think they were just being mocked because, for one, whoever these people were didn't understand what they were saying. They probably just thought they were uttering nonsense. Mm-hmm. But the people who understood them we're like, wait a minute, they're speaking in my language. Yeah. I understand what they're saying. They didn't know my language before. Who are, who's the, who are these fishermen? Yeah. Uneducated well, for some says, of them. Verse 7, Galileans. Yeah. Calls them Galileans, which is why I think the direct reference to those speaking is the apostles and maybe a band of others who are from Galilee along with them. But I think the main emphasis is the apostles are now ministering to the nations mm-hmm. and then they're about to be sent out to the nations. It's just God who's kickstarting the process. Something else that's unique here, and maybe this is a good note to end on, this is very redemptive of God to reverse things. If, if you're to think about the Tower of Babel, where God dispersed people and, and divided up their languages so that they could not gather together to make a name great for themselves, like that's why God interrupted their languages, so they couldn't continue to build the tower, so they couldn't rebel against God. Which, by the way, is something that mankind is trying to do right now again in globalism. They're going to get an antichrist. They're going to build another metaphorical tower, their world system. But God divided up their languages as a form of discipline and judgment. But here you see the reverse effect in that when the church begins, God is pleased with people who believe and he unites their languages. He unites them again. So this is the opposite side of the table from the Tower of Babel. And this is a sign of God's approval Whereas in the Old Testament, you saw a direct sign of his disapproval. I think that's, that's pretty incredible. 
Yeah, I think that's also why you see ministries that are trying to get the Bible in every language, mm-hmm. right? We want people to hear God's Word no matter their language, and so does God. God clearly wants them to hear and the proclaim the gospel, the good news, regardless of the language barrier. God is bigger than the language barrier. God can solve that problem because He is God and in control of all things. Uh, and so it's just an amazing, another miracle post-Jesus's ascension. Now, the Holy Spirit has come, and now the gospel is being proclaimed to many nations in one setting because they're given this gift to speak in tongues or in other languages in Acts chapter 2. And thus, you have the title of the book yet again, the book of Acts. But the Acts of who? The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could take it further. The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. And that's what this book is all about. Yeah, so thank you all so much for listening into our podcast. Make sure that you share this podcast, you review this podcast. When you review, when you share, people are able to see it. We just want people to hear God's word. That is our heart. That is our mission. We want to help you sit down with somebody one-on-one and read God's word. And so we pray for you. We're excited for you. Keep reading God's word. Keep discipling people and continue to live for God's kingdom. Have a great week. Take care.